Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to do something a little unique. I'm going to bring in a friend of mine who's a big Arizona State fan. He'll be at the game playing BYU. We're going to kind of do a recap, and he wanted to clap back specifically at some harsh accusations that Arizona State fans are apparently the worst, and that came from a BYU fan and a U of U fan that were on the podcast last week. And we discussed that and uh, go over a few things there at the beginning of the podcast, and then... I bring in my mom to talk about a topic that I think is very interesting. It's kind of a a theory that she has when it comes to testosterone, the priesthood, men in the church, things like that. It was was fascinating to talk to her about that. I'm going to turn that one into a two-parter episode, so you'll see the first part at the end of today's podcast, um, I guess the second half of today's podcast, and then we'll give you part two next week. So hopefully, hopefully you enjoy that. And that's going to give me a little bit of an overview of what's going on today. Hope you all are having a great week and that the Cougars win on Saturday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. The, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the Mormons, Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, joining us today on the podcast is also another recurring guest who's been on before to give his thoughts on General Conference. I believe that was the only time, other time you've been on the podcast, is that right? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, which we have General Conference coming up, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like the Super Bowl for you guys that work in the temple, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. We love that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of figured. Isn't that kind of a prerequisite for working there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, that's one of the interview questions is, like, how much do you love General Conference? And How amped do you get for General Conference? And if I don't recall, if I recall correctly, like, you you said you tailgated for it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was pretty sick. <laughs> nice, dude. I actually am, no joke, I actually am pretty excited for General Conference. I think probably something to do with Elder Holland, uh, in his smackdown down at BYU a few weeks ago and just kind of seeing like, where's this going to go? It's going to be interesting. But yeah. anyway, I'm not expecting much necessarily, but I'm just, I've always looked forward to general conference. Yeah. Not always, but I definitely in my adult years, I've been more and more excited for that weekend, but we're not here to talk about general conference. Not yet. That's not this podcast. So let's get our resident Arizona state fan on the podcast to talk exactly that. And uh, you specifically took issue because there was some there was some mud thrown to your way, kind of indirectly, but towards all Arizona State fans' way from 
the two guests that were on last week that was a BYU fan and a Utah fan, and you had some words. You were like, I need to clarify some things because they're just wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they they really didn't have a whole lot to say other than just like that I hate them the most. And I think you asked why, and they're like, I don't, I, I don't know, I just do. And, yeah. and Chase is like, well, you know, from his time in Arizona, I think, did he go to medical school there or something like that? Or Yeah, he started medical school down in Arizona, yeah, you know. and I think he finished it up in California. But yeah, he, he, he was exposed to a lot of Arizona State fans while he was down there, I guess. Yeah. And he, members of the church specifically. And that's kind of his overall point, for whatever reason, that yeah. members of the church that are Arizona State fans seem to hate BYU the most. I don't know. Yeah, and, <clears throat> you know, the thing it is, is we all have um, anecdotal experiences with members of fan bases, you know, out there, mm -hmm. and, you know, somewhere out there, um, there's somebody from all of our fan bases embarrassing us and we just have to, you know, hope it's, it's not us. And, uh, you know, I think I can maybe understand where he's coming from because some of my cousins and uncles have this disdain for BYU and they'll always ask me kind of like they're nervous like well I mean who are you going to pull for because I went to BYU I didn't go to Arizona right. State um, but I feel like you know uh, college football fandom typically speaking it's it's just it's typically faith of our fathers type of thing right whoever you you grew up um, rooting for with your with your dad oftentimes is who you continue to, to pull for sometimes we have experiences uh, my understanding is that many utah fans um, grew up pulling for byu didn't get into school there and go to the u and become big utah fans i think that does happen time to time that's definitely happened from an anecdotal perspective i don't know how like what how, percentage how might be of that but yeah yeah and so it i will say growing up in utah we moved to utah when i was 11 and there were way more BYU fans in in the area that I grew up in. Uh, I think just because that was just the, that was what was most prevalent, and Utah also wasn't great, and they didn't have like this strong history that BYU had. I think it's flipped quite a bit in that area since Utah kind of went off and had more prowess, and just it's gotten more popular for whatever reason. Right. I don't know if that's related, but right, yeah, no, I mean that's just an example of you know, going straying from the the team of your youth yeah. to go a different direction. I mean, there's no question. It's harder to get into BYU than it is Utah. And so if Utah becomes kind of a, a default school, then sure, why not? And there you go. That does kind of where, yeah. That's where, the, where it's the tradition starts, I guess. But obviously many grow up pulling for them and have continued to do so. But yeah, so for me, um, Arizona State, uh, my dad didn't go there. <laughs> Only one person in my family went there, my little sister. Um, yeah, I actually thought I remember that. I remember being like, I don't even think he has like strong ties to the university when someone was bringing it up. But I was like, but he's a fan. He's a big fan. Big fan. Yeah. So my dad, he became a fan because back when he was growing up, like in the early 70s, the they were really good back in the 70s. They were, in fact, they used to be in the WAC with BYU and Utah. And mm -hmm. they um, went one a lot. They went undefeated a number of times. They were kind of... Um, like what Boise and Utah and BYU became in the in the Mountain West or the WAC, um, that's kind of how Arizona State was back in the seventies. They they really ran it, and that's what ended up getting them invited to the Pac-10, um, previously the Pac-8. 
Pac-8. I remember um, back in 19, 1978, yeah. I think, is the year. So, anyway, my dad became a fan. They were adopted into the Pac-8, Pac-10 back in 1978? Yeah, 1978. Wow, I didn't know it had been that long. But I remember my dad growing up telling us when Arizona State and Arizona went to the Pac-8 and ditched the whack. the idea was kind of, he's like, they weren't great. Like, it was a terrible move on their part because they never really, like, like flourished there. But that's, who cares? Like, I mean, you'd still rather be part of a bigger conference. Granted, maybe that was a different sentiment back then, but anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, yes and no. Arizona State won the conference and went to the Rose Bowl and beat Michigan in 1986 season. So it only mm. took them eight years um, to win the league, yeah. which is really solid. better than Utah's done. It's, Utah's been in the league for <laughs> 10 years and uh, still have not won the league. So, uh, you know, um, as, as a... Shots fired. I love it. <laughs> as a uh, Arizona State and BYU fan, you know, I have, I have gear um, for both schools, much more Arizona State gear, but I do have some BYU gear. Having gone there, I pull for them. Um, second behind Arizona State but obviously when they're going head-to-head my heart is with Sun Devils so my dad bought us season tickets um, when I was eight years old Um, so I've I've gone to pretty much all the home games um, up until three years ago when I moved to Utah Um, and then obviously when I was here in school I, I wasn't able to get to as many games but I I Grew up going to games. My dad is one of 13 kids. He's got nine brothers, and the majority of his brothers had tickets as well. So I grew up going to games with my uncles and cousins, and just a lot of great memories. The 1996 season, you know, I was, what, eighth grade or something like that. Um, They went undefeated and went to the Rose Bowl and ended up. Arizona State did? Yeah. they they had. uh, I never realized. That was an incredible season for BYU, too. Yeah, it was a great year. In fact, um, the third game of the season, Nebraska, if you remember Nebraska, um, yeah, they, that was the team of the '90s. They they were coming off of two undefeated seasons, two national championships, number one ranked team in the country. Came into ten. I remember they had uh, one of like their running back or something was Phillips. I think so. I'm trying to remember. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah they, I mean they they were tough. Anyways, they came into Tempe. I was at the game, and Arizona State beat them 19 to zero, broke their streak. Um, wow. And Arizona State went undefeated that season. They were really good. They had this quarterback out of Boise named Jake Plummer. Uh, he was a Heisman finalist. And, member of the church? Uh, not, actually. Um, He's not? Was that, a, was that a, a false rumor? I think so. I mean, Taylor Because I Taylor remember Kelly, growing up hearing that. He, I mean, he could have ties, but I, my understanding is he was not. Definitely did, hmm. did not live the gospel. <laughs> Fair enough. And his days at, in Tempe. And then he, uh, another member of that team uh, was Pat Tillman, who's become uh, right. notable because he, you know, joined the military after 9-11 and ended up getting... When he could have gone to the NFL. He was in the NFL. That was a, he had just... Oh, he was in the NFL, that's right. He had just signed yeah. a contract and, and uh, you know, anyway, left it all and ended up getting killed, friendly fired, very um, tragic thing. But he's... Uh, he he was a great player, you know, on top of his his uh, patriotism and everything. And um, anyway, so going back, so that that was uh, probably the year that really got me hooked as a fan because it was such a great year. I mean, typically they're a middling uh, program, you know. They Arizona State they get they get talent in there, um, and they'll have flashes and decent years. They won the division back in twenty seven twenty fifteen. Um, 
or no, it was clear back 2014 was the last time they won the South, and then 2015 team was really good as well. They were, um, you know, having having a great season until they the wheels came off there at the end and they lost the last two conference games. But anyway, um, for the most part, not not some dominant pack program like you're saying, like your dad implied. But they have had some some great. Uh, yeah, there's no question about that. I I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that they even made the Rose Bowl and and they won it. Yeah, that year. yeah. They, they they had a, a really good team. My dad went to both Rose Bowls, um, and uh, I still remember as a kid for Christmas him getting some Rose Bowl gear and tickets to the game from my mom. And um, anyway, pretty pretty exciting for him and. So Arizona State, um, you know, fun, fun atmosphere, really fun, great memories. So that's that's why I'm a fan. I don't I don't know if you needed all that. You can cut that out if you want. But uh, just giving <laughs> some, just giving some uh, back, just giving some background. justification, yeah, to your irrational fandom. Which I say that generally speaking, everybody's fandom is irrational. Of, so of course, don't worry. <laughs> of course. So and then uh, playing off of that, the reason I got even deeper into it is. I, I love um, I love my family. I love my uncles, my extended family, um, both sides, and both sides are fans. My mom's side had tickets, and my dad's side had tickets. And um, my dad's brothers, in particular, love to talk about the ins and outs, you know, recruiting, what's going on in recruiting, and, and you know, really diving deep into it. And so I started following, you know, uh, scout and rivals and and. Uh, have a membership on on uh, rivals and and so that's where I get my a lot of my quote insider information um, and and that way I can I can keep up you know in conversation with my uncles when we get together oh yeah I heard about this kid or whatever's going on in recruiting so um, and then going on to yeah you're way more you're way more in the know with Arizona State than I am with BYU that's for sure maybe and, that's not saying much but and I you know I love college sports in general so. <clears throat> You know, it's interesting the 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 hatred from Utah towards Arizona. Yeah, State this is what I want to get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they they they're not rivals in any way, and and the conference has kind of tried to make them in Colorado like the rivalry just because you know regionally, and but it's not really ha- it hasn't happened. Um, and so Utah, their fans, I would say they they obviously hate USC, they hate Arizona State. Um, Casey they hate didn't, BYU. They hate BYU. Um, BYU obviously <laughs> they hate everyone. They hate themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, what's interesting, and I hate, I don't want to say this because I don't want to give. No, you got it, man. Utah, the, bring it. The credit, you know, for oh, for, gotcha. for this. But I hate Utah more now than I hate Arizona, our rival. Like I. Oh wow. Utah's not a rival. But I've had so many bad experiences with their fans, um, yeah. and then and then there's obviously some confirmation bias. I, I'll I'll even take it as far as to say, most of my bad interactions on the highway here, they've got some Ute sticker on their car or some Ute uh, license plate frame. It's confirmation bias clearly, but I, I just feel like there's something about this fan base that mm. they're just angry people. They they the w- the way I describe it is no fan base pounds their chest harder than utah and and they no fan base thinks they made the play as much as utah fans um when they're sitting in the stands i've gone to four games there in salt lake um my mission president 
lives in Springville. He played football for Arizona State. In fact, he still holds the record for most touchdown catches in a game. Um, oh wow! He's a, he's a program, you know, uh, notable player from the from the past. He's an old guy. He played back in the fifties, I think it was. Um, it's a heck of a record to still be intact. My goodness. Yeah, he was a tight end. Caught four touchdowns in a game, and that still that was when nobody was throwing, and much less the tight ends. It seems like, but right, good right for them. Great dude. Um, I'll just show you, send you a picture of him. I mean, he's, he's old when he was my mission president, he was the oldest mission president in the church at the time. He was 70 years old. So fast wow. forward. No, you know, I'm taking him to games and he's in his eighties. Um, and he's got this really cool letterman's blanket. It's this cool old leather or not leather, uh, wool blanket. And, um, we, we go to a game and unsolicited people, you fans come up and say, F Arizona state to this oh, old guy, you know? And, yeah. and again, it's anecdotal. It's, it's, I know there's lots of good people in the, I love Casey Sato. These, these, he's a great dude. A lot yeah. of great, great people. Um, yeah, he's all right. You know, are, 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 <laughs> are affiliated, but like you said, like percentage wise, I just feel like I just have had so many bad experiences and um, well, go ahead. So, Sorry, what I was going to say is that what I think it really is, is kind of what I mentioned on that podcast was that like, it's like the worst 10 to 20% of their fan base are like super, super bad. Like I'm like legit kind of nervous when I'm around them. I'm like, I'm not sure what to expect here. And I think what it is, is that same percentage. I mean, such an arbitrary percentage that I'm throwing out there. But the idea is that like when they're bad is really bad versus BYU's bad is like nerdy and dorky and still not a threat, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the comparison I make, but I think that same percentage, whatever it may be, is they, they fall victim to the idea that like, we are not BYU. It's like they define themselves more by not being BYU than actually just being Utah fans, which obviously Casey and all of my friends that are Utah fans just define themselves as Utah fans. Yeah. Like they're easy to rub shoulders with. They're good people. Like they're just diehard fans for their school, right? Like pretty much like the rest of us. And that I think is what that group suffers from is that they try so hard to not be like BYU. So they go so far the other way. I mean, one of the stories I have is, um, I remember seeing pictures of Ute fans tailgating before a game. I don't even think it was a BYU game, but they were taking sacrament cups and had like shots of vodka in it. And that was like taking the sacrament, but with vodka. And it's kind of like, wow, like that's like next level Disrespect. vitriol and yeah, like yeah. behavior. But that, and that's kind of stuff like that where it's like that anyway. I mean, I don't even think you'd see that between most national rivals like uh ohio state michigan i'm probably wrong though i mean it's probably just as bad there to some degree i'm sure you can see factions of it but i don't know that was just kind of like turning it up to 11 where you're like wow never mind yeah i mean that's taking it beyond fandom and into religion and then like really trying to come at you know that that aspect that's that's just it's low it's really low and yeah and, and yeah i've seen that too and they like painted up the sacrament tray and you you toss you know colors and put a ute logo on it and it's just yeah it's it's pretty bad you're like when you look at that part you're like oh that makes sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. but um i i would say you know the hatred um from that camp has i mean and and i'm sure there's tons of of complete chump arizona state fans i mean arizona state has a reputation of being this party school it has that vibe 
Um, they also have a huge institute and a lot of notable members of the church, you know. Um, well, what's funny is that you're probably talking about the two schools with the biggest institutes. Yeah. Yeah, really. I Utah mean, and Arizona State. You think about that region and, and how many members are, of the church are down there and and I get it. And, you know, going back to, to Chase's, um, you know, feeling that so many of the Arizona State fans that are members hate BYU. I think there's a lot that are like me, you know, that kind of pull for both. Um, that's how it is in my family, at least. All my, right. all my cousins, uncles, stuff, they, they, you know, there's no hatred. Well, I've got some uncles that, ha- that don't like BYU, and it's because of dumb, like, after a game, my uncle was, was telling me this story that he was at a, at a uh, ice cream shop. And some BYU fan comes up to him and he's like, you root for ASU? And my uncle looked at him like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. And the guy like pointed at his garment line like, well, what about that? And he's like, well, dude, you can be a member of the church and pull for other programs. And he like, he really didn't appreciate that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, whatever, who cares? But <laughs> yeah. for him, that's a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, for us. The, well, the, I mean, in the, all honesty, the garment – the the garments may as well have the BYU logo somewhere stitched on it as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, and I liked your take about telling the guy, well, you know, you do donate to BYU and you pay your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Casey doesn't like that. Yeah. Most most Utah fans I talk to that are diehard Utah fans don't like that one because they know it's true deep down. It is true. All donors. Mean, Kyle Whittingham donates a large chunk of his paycheck to BYU. It's really strange, but yeah, they're just yeah. all fans deep down. And very generous. Um, yeah, yeah. Because as a student there, they always reminded you, "Hey, this is supplemented by tithing. Like, do right by this." And you know, they really, they really guilt you. Um, and they like some people might come back at you and be like, "Well, you pay taxes, so you technically you support Utah." And it's like, "Yeah, but I'll go to jail if I don't." That's way different. <laughs> you volunteer. <laughs> you choose to pay your tithing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I. I I know this is about BYASU, but I just think there is a dynamic between the three. Programs. No, I wanted to. I, I know, wanted to hear you clap it. back, man. Um, I wanted and, to hear you clap back. And I would say the hatred from from Utah towards ASU, they could have bad interactions. But him saying, "I don't really know why," I just do. I would say it's probably because um, ASU is six and three against Utah since they joined the conference. And oh snap, um, they're <laughs> they're twenty two and nine overall uh, against the Utes. But um, anyway, it, it's. You know, good for them that they that they're in the Pac-12. Good for BYU that they're in the Big 12. It's awesome. I mean, what a week last week. Uh, who had a better week? I don't know if anybody did. Oregon had a pretty good week, but um, yeah, uh, all things considered, time. BYU getting into the Big 12 and beating Utah after that huge streak, and like there was, it was it was a wild time to be a BYU fan, man. Yeah, that much. Yeah, it's huge, and, and I. I uh, I busted out a peach fresca super late at night because I was like, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good. Like right before bedtime. Like I had it with me in bed. Love it, man. I felt like I deserved it as a BYU fan for everything I've been through. <laughs> to Harper and the Cougs. <laughs> That's right. To Harper and to life. I, I to hope I, I really hope though, you know, with this with this NIL stuff, um, the rich are going to get way richer. I'm really worried you, about the balance of power um, overall. That'll be interesting. I mean, with BYU busting out that built deal. No, that's great. Like, it, it's going to be how creative you can get using that, I guess. I don't know. 
that's but granted, great. that's not going to get you recruits necessarily because it's going to it's going to get you lesser recruits interested, like walk ons that are like, oh wow, so I can get a scholarship if I go to BYU. Yeah, no, and and that's great, but, but I, like Alabama's quarterback apparently got before he played a down as a freshman got a million dollars worth of deals. Yeah. And, yeah, and and I so, you know, and here's a, a, a an absolute giant of a program and the, you know, the SEC obviously getting Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and the, it, it's just, I'm nervous for that. Like, do, do our programs, are they, are they really going to have a seat at the table? Truly. It, it just, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's obviously awesome to be in a power five conference. You're, you're at least a, a step ahead, but. Um, you do wonder about that, man. And I've thought about that as well. And I think like, I can't, I can't, I, I can't take away the idea that I feel like these players do deserve it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that they actually couldn't make money off of themselves directly right. Right. just because they were college athletes. Whereas other kids going to college with them could do whatever to make money. Like Instagram influencers, like if you weren't part of the NCAA, if you were some Instagram model, um, you could make plenty of money while still going to school. And it's like, fuck, but college athletes couldn't do that for what reason, you know? But I understand that because, I don't know, I, it'll be interesting. I, I can't definitively say that schools like Alabama, USC, things like that will will make the rich get richer because it's now, in some ways, it's leveled the playing field to some degree. To some degree, but the problem is, is, what it opens up is uh, yes, that part of it obviously is true, but it's going to be, it's going to be taken advantage of where some now, now the boosters can give kids money and they don't have to like launder it. They can just give them the money and yeah, yeah. Like there's no way they're tracking that. He's an employee at my car dealership, you know? And and so that like, that's what's going to happen obviously with it. And it just, that's what it opens up. It is just such a, it's a catch 22 because on the one side, like you said, it's, it's great, you know, that these kids can do that and they should be able yep. to, but it, it's just going to allow for that dirty play. That's, that's, we all know what's going on and has been since the, you know, the beginning of this whole thing. But anyway, so getting into uh, um, Arizona state, we'll last little, little snippet about Arizona state, Utah, just, you know, I know there, there's always been ever since Utah joined the pack, between Utah and BYU, kind of this like, hey, we're in the Power Five, you're not, you know, this type of thing. Um, and, and and so to, to speak on that a little bit, Utah in their 10 seasons in the pack, their conference record is 45 and 41. Um, you know, not world beaters. They want to build a statue, uh, Casey said, for, Casey, for uh, Kyle Winningham. Apparently 45 and 41 gets you a statue in, in Utah. Um well, I honestly think it's it's so funny because most Utah fans don't recognize how much they revere Kyle Whittingham really just directly has to do with how he, much he's owned BYU. I really think that's basically it. That's a lot of it. And and But granted, obviously, they've had some late success. They won the division in yeah. 2018 and 2019. Um, you know, those that was their 2018, I think, was their best team. Or maybe, no, it was 2019, the best team they've had, made probably ever, the most talented. Um, yeah. And, and, but then they got walloped in the in the Pac-12 championship championship game and and I mean, I mean that could happen to anyone I mean that's not to take away the fact that they were the best team like that was a really really talented team they beat BYU super easily but right yeah it is an interesting commentary on just kind of the 
their time in the it, in the Pac-12. Like their resume, when you just look at the raw numbers, isn't particularly special. Yeah, and it's a tough league. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of people that have clowned on the Pac-12, um, especially of late because they haven't made it, made it to the playoff, haven't had a representative of the playoff in, in, in a few years. Um, but it's a tough league. I mean, all these schools that are in the league have, you know, some built-in um, advantages, especially, you know, the California schools, Washington, Oregon. So as an Arizona State fan, Arizona State in that 10-year time, they've gone 47 and 38, so slightly better than Utah um, and have beat Utah six out of nine times in that span. So they – and Arizona State's a middling program. Um, and so it's tough. I mean, it's really tough because you're never going to beat USC. Well, sometimes you can uh, for a recruit, but very rarely. Um, Stanford, you're, if, if a kid can get in, he's not picking you over Stanford. Um, mm. and, and so there's there's a lot of tough things about it. Um, and so Arizona State's pretty middling. Uh, this is supposed to be Herm's best team. Uh, the, Her- the Herm hire was uh, blasted nationwide uh, as being a total joke. Everyone clowned on it. But he's, I think Herm's done a good job. Uh, his, if you look at the scores of the games in the three seasons that he's coached, last season was only four games because of COVID, um, but he never gets blown out. He's, he's uh, always put a really competitive team on the field, and this is supposed to be his best team. Um, so BYU screwed on Saturday, is that what you're saying? No, no. I think it'll be a really, a really good game. Um, I think they play. They have a similar, similar um, roster. I think Arizona State's got more speed, though. I think Arizona State, um, if they can kind of get the edges, um, I think they'll that uh, they could be trouble. Um, they've got a running back. They've got three really good backs. Um, their passing game is their weak link. The uh, the quarterback's supposed to be good. The quarterback is one of the reasons I think Utah hates ASU. His name's Jaden Daniels, and uh, they were, the, the Utes were certain he was coming there. And uh, at the end of the, the kind of the recruiting, he was a, for quarterbacks, typically they commit early, and he didn't commit until the end of, the, of his senior year. Um, but he surprised everybody and went to Arizona State because his, his mom really liked Herm. Herm, I think, is a good dude, really good dude. Apparently he met up with some recruits, uh, just happened to bump into him recruits on some uh covid oh, fancy that. Res- restricted visits um and i think that happens a lot everywhere not to say it's the right thing and i'm not letting him off the hook but um everyone wants to you know come at his character for that but i think herm overall is a great dude and yeah he's, i honestly he's don't really care leader. about that um and so yeah the uh, arizona state's under investigation for that for covid uh restricted visits with kids and getting them on campus and stuff and i'm sure they'll they'll be a some sort of uh, penalty to pay but it has, has nothing to do with the current roster it, it was just recruiting this last year for future um and they've they've suffered they've lost a lot of their commits and who knows what's going to happen in the future if the whole thing gets blown up but this is supposed to be his best team They've got a really talented uh, backfield. Uh, Rashad White, Mel Kiper. I was watching the UNLV game on ESPN, and uh, Mel Kiper said has him as his fourth ranked back. Um, big, fast NFL style dude. So I think he could be trouble on the on the edges for BYU. Um, but Utah has an athletic team, and BYU handled them. So um, you know, I think fairly evenly matched. At 19 ranked ASU, 23rd ranked Cougars. Um, 
I think it's, it is at BYU. That always helps. Yeah, right? it's a home game here in here in Provo. Um, if I'm you know watching the the first two games, Fresno State. If I'm BYU, I'm stacking the box and and making them you know beat you over the top because they their passing game has uh, really sputtered. They their talent is all really young. Um, they've got three freshmen and wideouts that are highly regarded, but they they just haven't done much and they, they don't have chemistry yet with the quarterback. So that'll, I think that's going to be um, really the difference in the game. If, if Arizona state's able to push it downfield um, that will open things up in the running game. But if they can't connect, it could be a real, a similar game to Utah. in, in my opinion, Arizona state's defense is, is, um, is good. They, they've got a lot of experience at linebacker and, and then in the defensive backfield. Their best lineman, uh, Torres Tricep, in fall camp, so he's out. He defensive lineman. He was uh, he was a star. I mean, he was really good. Yeah, they've they they've got a, a member of the church. Um, he's a return missionary. Is their fullback walk on that was awarded a scholarship. His name is Case Hatch, and he's a a captain, um, a program and fan favorite. Great kid. Um, I actually work on a project with his brother. His brother's the electrical engineer for a project we're doing at the Draper Temple and. They're, they're an awesome family overall there from Gilbert. Um, anyway, so nice, good, good uh, tie-ins there for sure. Well, you'll have to uh, give us a report at some point of what your experience was like with BYU fans in Provo. And if you felt like, you know what, these guys kind of are D-backs and I don't like any of them either. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um yeah, I'll I'll be there with an army. I'll have my family and friends. We're all sitting together. But no, man. I mean, I don't have any any uh, bad feelings for for BYU. And so, um, but it'll be interesting. I, I honestly, I feel like the only people who who um, sometimes might get under your skin. It's just if BYU winds up winning the game, uh, I feel like there's a lot of gloating. You know, like a lot. Sure. I, and I've been to away games everywhere. I've I've gone. To, to Texas Tech. I went to, to an Arizona State-Texas Tech game. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout out Red Raiders. Red Raiders, guns up. Um, and I've been to every venue in the pack except for SC and Oregon State. And typically people just kind of keep to themselves. You know, they'll, you know they, they want visiting fans to have a good experience, right? It's almost like this mm-hmm. missionary, missionary mindset. Like we want them to come away with this this good experience. And I think Sometimes BYU fans might be gloat, gloating type fans and in your face type of thing. Like, but that everyone does that, and and that's fine. Um, that's that's part of fandom. But I, I, I'm not worried about. It, but I'll definitely give a report back. I'm excited for the game for sure. Please do. Yeah. All right, Shaner. And then at another time, I'm going to have to have you on to tell one of the, some of the scariest stories I've ever heard that have come from you. So I want to get those documented as well. You got it, man. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time, and we'll have you back on probably next month at some point. All right, bro. And if you, uh, yeah, if you need to cut it all, cut it all. But uh, anyway, thanks for having me. Um, go Devils. Go Cougs. Be a fun game. Go Cougs. No Devils. <laughs> all right, man. We'll catch you. I later. don't know about you, but I never cheer for the Devil personally. But that's just me. Uh, I, it's the Sun Devil. <laughs> oh, okay. That's different. Good yeah, point. It's not the real Devil. <laughs> That's right. All right, brother. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye, man. See you. I don't know how you get a podcast, but you should look into it.
I've got my mom coming back into the studio, quote unquote, um, to talk specifically about a topic I'm actually pretty excited to talk about. And I'm excited to kind of throw you a couple new ideas, sort of, maybe not, not necessarily new ideas, but variations of your same idea that I'm seeing around, which is kind of exciting. Okay. Before we get to that, though, I want to give you one whole minute where I'll let you berate me for being single. <laughs> well, that's not really my style. <laughs> I'm not going to berate you. I'd love to see you get married, that's all. And I think that um, it's challenging these days to find the right person, but it's always there are always challenges to every generation, and I think that it's it's important to sometimes go back, and I don't know if this is what's happening to you, but I think it's important to periodically for single people to examine their selection criteria because if it does seem to be hard, then you know some way I've put it before is maybe you're shopping in the wrong malls because there are people out there. There are. I actually don't go shopping in malls, though, anymore. Yeah, me neither. So. <laughs> and I'm not asking you to send for one on Amazon, but I am going to say that it's important to examine our selection criteria. It's important to look at, am I prioritizing the right things? Am I um, letting go of the right things? I've seen people let go of the wrong things, and they've made excuses for a prospective spouse, and that can get them in a lot of trouble, too, and they think they're being charitable or patient or forgiving. But there are some things that should be deal breakers, in my opinion. Um, I think God is pretty clear about what most of those are, but some of them require some common sense or, you know, something different from our romanticized ideas that can creep in so easily since media and everybody else weighs in on this. But um, And your minute is up. Sorry. No. I'm <laughs> well, just kidding. All right, finish your say, thought, of course. I'm going to say of that, course. you know, attraction is a it's an interesting thing. You know, what creates that spark of interest? Certainly there is a hormonal chemical part of that, and that's human and understandable and natural. I think it gets too much weight often. I, again, I don't know if that's what's going on with you or with your friends that are single or whatever. I'm just saying that that's something to be aware of because I have seen it a million times. Chemical attraction can grow when you're with the right person. And you start to see how wonderful they are or how good to be with or how kind and solid and whatever. Chemical attraction is not the problem. That that can grow. Um, you know, within a certain spectrum, I'm, I'm willing to say, you know, you can eliminate maybe some extremes on the spectrum. But really, there's a very wide section in that spectrum of attraction that should be available for consideration because that is not a problem when you find the right person. And I think that that isn't very often considered in that way. I, I, I believe I actually do believe that, um, and I think a lot of us believe that deep down. But do we practice it? That's another question. Obviously, it's we could go deeper there for a long time. But um, there is something to be said about physical attraction on the surface, because there is something about how people take care of themselves, quite frankly. And I, I know you don't yes, disagree with that, but disagree with there that. are gradations to that. And I think we probably get lost and confused within those degrees, right? Mm -hmm. So, Well, honestly, how hot does the chick need to be? <laughs> well, I don't like the word hot at all. Personally, Good. I think hot is actually a telltale sign that when you say, oh, she's hot, like that's very Hollywood-esque. It's really superficial. It's very Kardashian. I suppose that's There right. are a lot of people that mm -hmm. look hot. And you know what? I've, I've actually started to... There's a certain look that some girls have out there, heavy makeup, like very prominent, you know, 
eyelashes, very tan skin, things like that. Yeah, obviously prioritizing those and things. And no joke, I have male friends that could probably look the exact same way if they just did the same things. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Interesting point. Yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with that either. And I'm not gay. I don't I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I'm not gay. But I'm, I'm, fairly I'm convinced confident. they could look that way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I do think that that is a trap. And I have seen, sadly, too many people down the road in marriage counseling. And I've heard too many men say... You know, she's not even that good looking anymore. And that's after talking about the real problems in their marriage, which might be selfishness or I remember lack of testimony that. or superficiality. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking because you're like, why did you not think about this before? It's really not about that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people just become better looking in the eye of the beholder. And, and in a real sense, I would say, too, you see people who age beautifully because they're wonderful people. And as people just know them and see them, go through life there is a beauty around that it that is attractive to everybody in an appropriate way and to their spouse in an in every way i believe that i do i really do um i you see it play out a lot actually how people just become less attractive the more terrible they get but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway goes both ways so anyway i just think i think people need to be more considerate of, of the rest of the spectrum of people who, yes, they take appropriate care of themselves, meaning that they don't just let themselves go to seed. And they well, and you're a big proponent of the ones that don't particularly stand out in any given setting, which right. I think there's a which, lot of merit to that as well. I, which I call the good enough looking people, girls or guys, good enough. And looking. I don't even mean stand out looks wise. I mean just kind of like they're not necessarily putting themselves on the spot. They don't. They're not. Right. They're just kind of quiet. Like they may show up to places, but you just may not notice them because they're not really talking to a lot of people. And now you're talking about what I would call the inductive or the more introverted personality style. And, and they come yes, across as boring. Yes. Right? Initially, people often think that they're boring because they're not, they don't express a lot. They're, they're not extroverted. They don't initiate contact or, in, you know, getting together, whatever. They're a little bit more on the shy side or just, you know, kind of more mm-hmm. contained within and yes, I think, and, and this is not a diss against people who are extroverts, because that's great too, but those people tend to get a lot more dates because they do kind of know how to connect and know how to put themselves out there, be more forthright and so on. Yeah, I'm extrovert. I know how to be fake, just like the rest of them. I've been there. <laughs> and I'm not even suggesting that it's always fake, but it is, it's a social I know. Yeah. Um, skill that, that some people don't have. And I've heard, again, so many stories. Well, Boy, it's not, and not even necessarily they don't have, it's that they don't feel comfortable exercising. And that's like, they could have it, and when they feel comfortable they're actually right there with the best of them well i would say those aren't social skills those are people skills and yes that once you get past their maybe lack of social skill you can find that they have tremendous people skills and you know when i taught at byu i heard this story again and again because one of my lectures had to do with those different personality styles just looking at that dichotomy and i would mention it when it came to dating about how you know don't just go for the extroverts because half the population you could miss and Again, you don't have to marry an introvert, but don't dismiss them. And I, it was amazing how many people would raise their hands and say, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what happened to me in my quest for marriage. And, you know, I first thought this person was boring or I first thought this person was uninteresting and whatever, whatever. And then, you know, once I got past that, they were amazing. And anyway, I've heard that so many times. It just yeah. is really sad to me that people, you know, somehow we haven't gotten the word out that, like, don't be limited to just people who are easy to get to know, who are easy to date. Try some that are more quiet, and there are some really hidden treasures there. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to miss it. Yeah, no, I I agree, and we could talk about this for hours. By so. the way, I am one of those. Nobody believes that anymore, but I was definitely an introvert, 
And he, although I was quite successful in high school in terms of having friends and so on, it was that was kind of I was starting to maybe come out of it. When I went to college, I was kind of back in that bigger pond into a quieter person. And I think back, and there were a lot of guys that I met in class or different things like that, that now I look back and I think they were looking for me to show interest in a date, but I was too shy to do it. So they kind of would pull back. Or maybe we would go on one date, but I didn't talk very much. And so, you know, they weren't too interested. And I look or back maybe I think, they knew big old bad Christian Anderson was coming back <laughs> off his mission, and they're like, don't touch her. Yeah, well, that wasn't sweetheart. really the arrangement, but at any rate... Um, I, I realized I missed a lot of fun opportunities because I was so shy and quiet. And, and, I, and I think, like, gosh, I was lucky to, you know, have your dad come back and know me from high school. And even then, when we started dating, he did most of the talking. Nobody would believe that now either. <laughs> and I really blossomed after being in a secure relationship because once I was past the, the shyness or the insecurity of that, the person I really was could come out. And I know that marriage has been wonderful for me that way because, like, really, people wouldn't even think I ever was an introvert or ever was shy because I did have the confidence of a loving spouse. So it really allowed me to just continue to, yeah. to blossom and open up. So it's a anyway, don't, environment that needs to take place, that's right? right? That's right. It's good for all of us, by the way. Extroverts also benefit from having secure relationships. We all do. Anyway, I think those are two really good points that you brought up there. Well, thank you. Um, but let's do this. Let's, let's get into it. this. We, we I want to talk specifically about harness testosterone, which actually, from what I understand, that's a term you've coined. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I don't remember getting it from anywhere. Which I, apparently is I too did. explicit for Deseret Book, so they say. <laughs> there, um, I did actually use that phrase in a chapter that I wrote for um, the Helping and Healing Families thing, and they changed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. a little too explicit for... Or desert book to talk about testosterone, but not for me. And now is probably a good opportunity to talk about your podcast that you've officially launched. We actually haven't had you back on since you launched it, and um, you've been doing great. Uh, and it's been fun to see you kind of progress through that. And what you've taken on kind of are specific topics within the Come Follow Me curriculum. It definitely would qualify as a Come Follow Me podcast. Um, but it's not really the lesson plan per se. It's no. more like you take something and you're like, hey, this is what I want to talk about because it comes from these sections. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I do. I do cover a lot of that, but I don't try to cover all of it. And I'm not, you know, a giant church history person, although I include some of that. But mostly it is a stepping off point for um, the kinds of applications that I love from the scriptures. And I do want to thank you for all your help and support with that because you've been incredibly encouraging and really helpful in some really concrete, tangible ways. So... That's been wonderful, and I and I appreciate that so much. Um, other family members too have been encouraging, but you've you've really helped. So um, yeah, it's called Choosing Glory. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get at the title for sure. It's and called Choosing Glory, and it is um, on all the platforms people yeah, can find. Yeah, it's out there. Choosing Glory, and it has your face on it, and it even mm -hmm. says with Lily Anderson, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, just like Latter Day Takes with Harper Anderson. Um, and the reason why we bring up the topics is because. On one of those topics recently, I want to say it was Section 84. Um, yeah, it was Section 84. Which is basically <laughs> talking about the higher priesthood, the Melchizedek mm -hmm. priesthood. Right. And you talk specifically about harness testosterone because it's your kind of this overarching theory of why you believe men are the priesthood holders. Because if I'm not mistaken, it's not in our doctrine that only men can hold the priesthood. It's not a doctrinal construct as we know it now. It's just basically a policy, if I'm not mistaken. 
Well, I don't consider it one of those policies that would change on earth. Although and maybe I know it won't. And I'm not various opinions about that. I'm not making that argument. I, I'm just I saying it's interesting I, to look when you look deep inside. It's actually not explicitly noted that only men can hold the priesthood for well, eternity, so to speak. I think we're pretty clear on the fact that we become priests and priestesses if we continue on this path to its, you know, happy conclusion in the kingdom of God. So definitely, there are women who will have the priesthood. Also, of course, in the temple, women do officiate in ordinances through priesthood right, exactly. power yeah. now. So um, clearly it isn't. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I guess I see it as a very, very um, important difference between men and women because of other differences between men and women. And that's what leads to the idea of harnessed testosterone. So it really, to me, seems to be an integral part of this life's journey that men have the priesthood and women do not. And I think that there is an incredible amount of potential synergy and blessing and understanding that and in embracing that and, you know, creating complementarity out of it. I like that you put synergy. That's actually kind of cool to think about how it's symbiotic, men holding the priesthood. And I know you've given this before. You've given this in your own podcast. You've talked about it amongst in other groups that I've seen. I've given but, a lot of firesides on this, yeah, too, and I talked about it yeah. with clients. So this is something that I yeah, really, really um, appreciate the usefulness of. Mm-hmm. Well, and you specifically, and if by the way, for those that are listening, if you hear a, a disgruntled dog in the background, it's because he's not getting enough attention, but that's okay. He's doing, he's fine. Don't he's, worry about him. <laughs> he's not being abused. No animals yeah, were in, harmed in the, in the recording of this podcast. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But you've given a statistic that I thought is fascinating, specifically that has shown when women in like mm. non-denominational Christian churches or whatever, I don't know if, I don't want to necessarily say Baptist because oh, I don't know what the policies are. There are Protestant, Protestant churches, churches who have opened that up. When they're given the, I don't know if they call it authority well, or what they might call it, but when the they're ordained, yeah, and they can become, become ministers. yeah, and they kind of like have their own congregation, they're kind of sure, or acting the in reverend ways. Of, of all that kind of running the show there. That you said specifically, men, uh, what's the word? Men attend participation, participation and attendance in the off. church in that congregation mm-hmm. drops off. Yeah. And I didn't even take the time to add this, which I should have, but kind of you know you get going and you forget stuff. But I could have also mentioned how impacting that is for future generations, because as with many um, activities that children experience outside of family life, like marriage, business, you know, higher schooling, other things, um, fathers set the greatest, have the greatest impact on those things. And I used to be kind of offended about that when I first heard that as a mother at home, that, um, that men showing interest in their children's schoolwork actually seemed to impact in a positive way that, that kids' schoolwork more than mothers showing interest. And I used to think, like, what, am I chopped liver here? You know, like, <laughs> I show a lot of interest in their schoolwork and help with things and so on. But then I realized that, no, I mean, there's no question that women have a tremendous impact on children. But um, and, and one way that this has been put, in fact, it, by David Popino, who wrote a book on fatherhood, um, is that women give or mothers give their children roots and fathers give them wings. And research actually bears that out. It's a nicely poetic, you know, phrase, but really it's borne out in research that men tend to have, or fathers, if they show interest in certain areas with their children or if they're successful in certain ways, tend to have a more positive impact on how the child is going to end up doing in marriage, business, you know, as I said, education, other things. Or And when I say business, I mean careers or jobs. It doesn't have to be business. But the point is that... Um, 
this is also true of church attendance. So when a man is participating in a religion, children are much more likely to participate themselves as adults than if he doesn't. And, and even though the mother might continue to participate in religion, if the father drops out, there's a huge hit to the likelihood that that child will grow up into an adult that participates in religion. So it's not just that men drop out, but that they're going to have an impact on the future generations in terms of religious participation when women are ordained. I mean, that's really sad. That's really serious. Yeah. That it can have that kind of not just, you know, one generation impact, but future generations as well. On that note, excuse me being flippant, but I couldn't help myself. When it it's kind of funny that you, that quote with uh, the roots and wings, roots and wings, because you know we see that play out quite literally in Greek mythology, as literal <laughs> as Greek mythology can get when it comes to Icarus. So hopefully it doesn't exactly end like that, with the father giving you wings. But regardless, great quote. <laughs> I actually really do like that, and it does it prove quote. to the symbiosis. Is that a word? Well, it's certainly between the, a mother the, and a father in general. Collaborative potential. Yeah. Um, is symbiosis a word? Yeah, it is. Um, it is a word, but I, I like to think of it. Sometimes a symbiotic relationship can have some elements of, of um, being unhealthy, I would say, because it can be a little bit too much feeding off each other. So I actually like to say synergy more because synergy really definitely is creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Okay. That's... And, it, and it is greater. It's much greater when men and women collaborate instead of competing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, sadly, you know, this post-feminist era is so caught up in this, and it has affected a lot of people in the church, to think that women and men have to be the same. And that's, we- that's the fascinating part of the movement right now, because the early feminist movement wasn't about that. It was about women ha- having the same rights, so to speak. Well, the writing was on the wall, but yes, yeah, you're right. It, it was about it equal was a catalyst to where we're at now, and right? And women having access to, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying necessarily that there was nothing wrong with that movement, but there were some things that probably came from that that were like, oh yeah, there was probably some reconciliation that needed to happen from a societal perspective, at least. But. Interestingly, your grandmother, my mother, wrote a book that showed that those things that people really did recognize that were problems were being corrected little by little legislatively without going to the extent of trying to do this wholesale, um, well, Equal Rights Amendment, for instance, which was defeated. But um, the idea was that those things were being corrected and that didn't require some huge change in society perspe- societal perspectives. At any rate, yes, there have been some inequities, although if you listen to Jordan Peterson, he has a really, really educated take on the whole different pay-for-different-work stuff. And oh, yeah, there's enough there is counter of research and evidence mm-hmm. out there that talks about all that. But there, there are the other reasons that you know, are, are legitimate that yeah. impact that. And in fact, um, in many professions, women who are like college graduates and start on an entry-level job are being paid more than men. In so, fact, there's this, those stats I've heard are out there now that mm-hmm. it's actually, if it's a single woman and a single man mm-hmm. doing the same thing, the single woman's making more. In many cases, yeah. that is true. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think we've... We're just, you know, there's just a job disparity stuff. in general in terms of that's what they right. even take. That's a, that's the bigger thing that do, goes under discussed within these research constructs. That Jordan Peterson before. talks a lot about that. That the, the choices jobs that, and things that's like that. right, yeah. and just things that are away from your family, things that require a lot of travel or whatever. That women are less likely to do those things. Yeah, and so yeah, they do pay hazard pay or you know travel pay or whatever. So yeah. 
Um, and a lot of it is self-selection and not the society imposing anything. And of course, they have those fascinating settings. Again, Jordan Peterson explains it better, but um, that in the most egalitarian societies like Sweden and Denmark and you know the Scandinavian countries oh, where yeah, they yeah. really try not to impose any kind of expectations on developing children or try to you know, limit them to a certain gendered um, pathway or whatever, that in those places where they've removed those things, the differences between job selection that men make as opposed to women is maximized. Yeah. So women are more likely in those places where there are what we would say fewer societal constraints, if not no societal constraints, they are more likely to choose nurturing traditionally female professions, nursing, you know, teaching yeah. young children, you know, the, the social service type things and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, people just hear that and it's like they don't listen. You see him on there talking to people mm -hmm. who just don't hear what he's saying. Yeah, fantastic. Now, going back to harness testosterone, this is something I wanted to bring up with you that you probably haven't heard before. It goes along the lines of what you've talked about before. And I don't want to get too much into this rabbit hole. Not that it's a rabbit hole. It's actually a fantastic illustration that you bring up from the Book of Mormon when it comes to the Nephites Alma fighting against, exactly against the Lamanites. It's kind of the introduction of Captain Moroni yeah. Um, yeah. fighting against Zarahemna oh. and his troops, which were led by, from what I understand, Zoramites and Amulonites, maybe, who were former Nephites, and they had such a disdain for the Nephites. Yeah, so they even put them as their captains because right. they knew it was so vitriolic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They just hated their former brethren, so to speak. And... It wasn't until, and the Nephites were really getting beat down badly. And because, it, remember, it says about the Lamanites that they fought like dragons, dragons. which is an interesting word to find in Scripture. It says twice in the Book of Mormon, I believe. Actually, I think once is in the Old Testament and once in the Book of Mormon, but we could check. I'm going to fact check that right now, okay, but I'll let you check go. It. But anyway, um, the idea there is just that, that that would be unharnessed testosterone. So actually to kind of present the, I don't know that we presented the model, but let me go back for a minute and present the model. What I, what I learned, and I really believe I was taught by the Spirit, when you know your brother, Graydon, was about 16 and asked why men were more likely than women to be responsible for domestic violence and be guilty of abuse and things like that. Okay, twice. It is mentioned twice yeah, in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, so it's in Mosiah well 20.11 as well. Oh, okay, that's and the second one there. And it says, but they fought for their lives and for their wives and for their children. Therefore, they exerted themselves, and like dragons did they fight. But that was actually wow. for Nephites. That's the good guys that right? time. That would have been... That would have been probably Alma and his crew, or Limhi. It was the people of Limhi. Okay, yeah, so. okay. Well, thanks. Now I know. But it is kind of cool to think about how, like, Joseph Smith must have seen this word, and he was like, I haven't seen, like, I don't, I don't get what this is really fit? saying. A what is this? Creature. He's like, I guess dragons is kind of the closest I could maybe relate that's to funny. this, right? Well, I've got the spirit made that clear to him. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I'm not but saying yes, that's not what, exactly surprise. what Mormon was saying. But, but it's a surprising word to say. Yeah, like, yeah it to is. To use a it's mythical rare. creature yeah. as a descriptor. But at any rate, I think we all know what that means. So anyway, the idea was that, you know, as I was trying to answer that question for your brother, you know, and I was praying to know what to say because I certainly didn't want him to feel bad about being a Did guy. Did you highlight the question, by the way, again? Yes. Yeah. Why are men more likely than women to the be responsible for those things? Things like that, yeah. yeah. So anyway, as I was trying to answer, I really felt like the spirit, you know, came into my mind. And I, and I realized that it was this unharnessed testosterone that is necessary on the planet. We, I mean, we need testosterone. We need um, that masculine tendency to build things to be willing to go out and slay the dragon every day speaking of dragons but to you know go out and and conquer a little bit of territory in order to provide for a family that it's good that not everybody wants to stay in and hold the babies you know it's it's important that we have those differences men tend to be also the ones that push the boundaries you know to see what's across the 
mountain or over the mountain or across the ocean or in space. And that's a good thing. Society has been blessed by that push that men typically make. And I'm not saying women don't have any of these tendencies. We've often said that that men and women are very similar in many ways, of course. They can, they can really cover each other's territory if necessary. God has made us adaptable in that way. But it's when you look at the, you know, the patterns of maleness and masculinity as opposed to the patterns of female or, or femininity, you, you find differences at the margins. And those differences are accommodated by God. So my answer that, that came to me was that you know, that power that is in men and that is positive and absolutely necessary on the planet is only safe when it is harnessed to the good. And at the time I was thinking, you know, love of country, love of family, all those things. And then of course it was like love of God. And I, it just clicked in my head really like a light bulb going off that the perfect harness for testosterone is the priesthood of God. And it made so much sense. I thought, well, this is why men have the priesthood and this is why they get it when they're 12. I can only imagine how much this growling and moaning is popping up on the podcast. But anyway, keep going. We're, we're in here. We're in for it. <laughs> so the dog's included. But anyway, the... Um, Honestly, Mick could use a little bit of harnessing of his testosterone if he, he has He certainly me. could. I hope he'll uh, grow up in this next year. They tell us he will. But anyway, so the, the point is that it made perfect sense to me that like men need this, this power that's in them, this, this hormone, which manifests in men up to 20 times more than in women. So women have testosterone too, but men have up to 20 times more. And we know that, uh, and have known for decades, that um, like the most violent prisoners in our prisons have the highest levels of testosterone. And that's true not only of the male prisoners, it's true of the female prisoners. So clearly there's an association with these higher levels of testosterone and antisocial behavior. So the idea is that we need to have testosterone, but we need it to be in that healthy zone. Um, testosterone is very changeable according to the choices and the, and the environment that men choose to be in. For instance, when a man is on the sexual prowl, his testosterone goes into those elevated dangerous levels. Mm -hmm. What a surprise. Right. When a man falls in love and bonds with a woman, and marries her and commits to her, it really helps to keep his testosterone at in bay. optimal levels. Not at bay, in optimal levels. Well, I thought levels. at bay would be optimal, but I well, guess I could be using it Well, we don't want it gone. Right. We don't want it gone. We just want it harnessed. Harnessed. Because we really need what testosterone provides. We just need it to be, you know, avoiding those escalated levels that come when, when men are looking at porn. What do you think that does to testosterone? Mm -hmm. You know, um, acting in violent ways or, or taking... I don't know, you know, I'm not trying to be like too downer, much of a downer here because I think a certain level of risk taking or whatever is, is uh, understandable for young men or whatever. I mean, be a nice outlet, so to speak, sometimes. Yeah, but it has to kind of be within, a, again, kind of within some part of the spectrum that's reasonable, I would say, especially and what you see is that men kind of tone that down when they get married. Why? Because they realize that if I'm gone, you know, nobody's going to take care They're of these committed. people like I would. Yeah. So they are, yeah, they do make a commitment and it kind of tones that down because those things are associated. We all know that those are, you know, that adrenaline junkie thing is, is about testosterone too. It just really, really mm -hmm. increases that level. At the beginning of a football game, both teams have high levels. At the end, the winners have higher testosterone than the losers. So it can change that quickly. Catch part two of the conversation of harnessed testosterone that I had with my mom next week. Everything's changing my mind Go to a different time 
feeling so mad.